Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. unusual message today and uh, I really struggled with uh, whether or not I should preach this message on a Sunday morning. It was intended for Wednesday night but uh, I believe it's important enough that I should share it with you guys on Sunday morning. But I want to start with a story this morning that Pastorette, my wife, came across the other day about this lady that had went to the Texas Roadhouse with her three children for dinner right out here at the St. Matthew Mall. It's a local story. But anyway, she parks her car, and they all walk into the restaurant. And while they were sitting there in the restaurant, she put her hair up. Now, I know that doesn't sound very important, or you're probably wondering what that's got to do with the price of milk in China, but it'll be important in a minute. But anyway, they had their dinner, and uh, as they're leaving the restaurant, she noticed a van that was parked close to her car now. And there was a man standing next to it. So she went on alert right then. And she told her older daughter to take the uh, younger child and get in the car quickly. And about that time, the man standing next to the van said, your hair looked better when it was down. So he obviously had been watching her since the time that she got there. And uh, that's when she went into full alert mode. And, uh, you know, most women are pretty careful, and uh, especially a mother, she's very protective of her children, very watchful of the children. So she was obviously also an advocate of the Second Amendment, because as they're getting into the car, her child was saying, get your gun, mom, get your gun. And so (laughs) as that was happening, another man steps out of the van and opens the sliding door on the side, And he tells her to get in, and they would go on a date, and he would show her a good time. And so she had her hand on her gun as she jumped into the car. She locked the doors and had enough time to speed off. And as soon as she was safe, she stopped and called the police. Now, we haven't heard any more about it, if they apprehended anybody or anything. or She she didn't get the license plate number, and, you know, in light of the moment and everything, she probably didn't think of it, but... Thank God this woman was as alert as she was, or uh, it could have turned out real badly for them. So there's no doubt in my mind that if she didn't have her wits about her, she and her three children uh, would have been kidnapped and very possibly to sex traffickers, which is really big nowadays. And thank God for the task force. They've been rescuing quite a few children here lately, one, a hundred, another 30, and different amounts like that, which is wonderful. But I told my wife, I said, you know what? You just gave me my topic for Wednesday night. This was like Tuesday. It might even been Wednesday morning when she read this story to me. But uh, I said, I'm going to talk about situational awareness. I know we've had a class here a number of years back about situational awareness. Uh, And then our power went out. We lost our Internet. And uh, we weren't able to do that Wednesday night. And so uh, 
you know, uh, I decided that it's important enough for me to teach it on a Sunday morning. And like I said, besides that, I have a bigger crowd today. But, you know, most women probably don't know a whole lot about situational awareness. Uh, but a lot of men do, especially if they had military police training or self-defense training of some type. You usually learn about situational awareness, how to read your surroundings and look for things that are unusual that would alert you to be more careful or be suspicious of something or somebody. And uh, like I said, at first, I didn't think it would be spiritual enough for a Sunday morning. Uh, most of the times uh, on Wednesday night, I teach informational stuff and, you know, how to get through the rest of the week and things that would help you spiritually. And a Sunday morning is, is a little bit different. Uh, but I think it's, it's worthy enough to preach about on a Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, it may be more spiritual than we think. Uh, I know there's no doubt about it, but we live in a world that is growing more and more dangerous every day. And I know God wants us to be safe because he's given us scriptures prom promising us safety and protection. And 91st Psalm is, is one of them. We're all familiar with that. You know, uh, it's not his will that any evil shall befall us or any plague come nigh our dwelling. Matter of fact, he gives his angels charge concerning us, lest at any time we dash our foot against a stone, in their arms they'll bear us up. And so he wants us protected. He wants us safe, and there's no doubt about that. And I also know that there's some hyper-spiritual, super-faith, deep sheep out there that think that uh, all you need is faith in God's word, and he'll take care of everything. He'll protect you. He'll keep you from getting hurt and everything, and you know, I've actually had one person ask me, well, more than one person on several different occasions, why would anybody want to carry a gun? Why would anybody want to exercise their Second Amendment rights, uh, especially a Christian, because God will protect them? And, you know, I'm happy for you if you've got that kind of faith and you're that spiritual. But here's another question. Why can't you do both? And, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a middle-of-the-road guy. Uh, when it comes to healing, I believe you need all the help you can get. I believe in divine healing. I believe God can heal me. I believe God does heal me. But if I can get a little help from a doctor, I'm going to do both. Amen? Amen? And, you know, Brother Hagen always told us when it comes to any doctrine, stay in the middle of the road. You know, don't get extreme on one end or the other. And I do believe that God can protect us. But I also believe that I can protect myself when I have to and protect my family when I have to. Amen. So I don't have a problem with that. But I got to tell you this much. There's a lot of Christians out there that are more spiritual and got more faith than you and I. And yet they still befall evil. They still get involved. They still become victims of crime, victims of accidents, uh, victims of injuries and, and uh, spiritual full of faith Christians. Get sick from time to time. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you know, like I said, we'll stay in the middle of the road. All protection from God or no protection from God and all protection by yourself. No. How about a little bit of both? Amen. Take all the help God gives me and I help myself when I can. Amen. Amen. And, and God doesn't really have a problem with you protecting yourself. He'll even steady your aim if he has to, just like he did little David when he fired that slingshot at Goliath. Right. That rock or that stone, that smooth stone, I should say, it's not a rock, it was a smooth stone, was guided by the Holy Ghost. 
Amen. That was the first recorded guided missile in history was that stone that come out of David's slingshot. So I know God will use people when he, when he wants to and when he can. And then now here's where we get a little spiritual. In Ephesians 6, 11, we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the attacks of the devil. And so we're all familiar with armor, and we know that the armor and the shield is all classified as defensive armor or defensive weapons. And thank God for them. But along with the armor that's designed for us to defend ourselves with, he's also given us an offensive weapon called the sword of the spirit. And so he doesn't want us just defending ourselves and hiding behind a shield all the time. Once in a while, he wants us to go on the offensive and strike back. Amen. Amen. Now, I know this is all spiritual and that, you know, well, he's talking about the sword of the spirit being the word of God. And yes, we are to use the word of God. There's no doubt about it. That's a sharp two edged sword. It cuts going in, cuts coming out. Amen. It divides asunder, soul and the spirit. It's a powerful weapon. So is the blood of the lamb. And so is our testimony. These are all powerful, powerful weapons. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon. And you can be quoting all them scriptures and, and, and using the sword of the spirit while you're defending yourself with a stick in your hand or a gun or whatever it is that you can use to defend yourself and defend your family. Amen. But, uh. It's great to have faith like that, and it's great to apply it, uh, uh, but it's also great to apply some good old common sense. How many of those God give us common sense, too? Most of us, anyway. But if God didn't want us to defend ourselves, he wouldn't have given us an offensive weapon, period. I know it's the sword of the Spirit, it's the Word of God, but in principle, it is an offensive weapon. So God doesn't have a problem with offensive weapons. And I know a lot of Christians believe that we're to turn the other cheek, but they're misquoting a scripture, a very well-known scripture to most Christians, you know, that we're to turn the other cheek. But that's speaking about persecution. If somebody persecutes you for being a Christian and being a believer, that's when you turn the other cheek rather than get in a fight with them and offend them. But that's not talking about defending yourself. If somebody attacks you, you don't turn the other cheek. You turn his cheek. Amen. You defend yourself to the best of your ability, and you get all the help that you can get. Amen. Hallelujah. I lost a few, a few minutes ago, but I think I got y'all back. I hope I do. Here's another scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8. The devil goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I'm going to tell you, the hyper-spiritual, full-of-faith Christian is the first one that he would like to devour because you're the biggest threat. And, you know, in threat assessment, uh, the the police learn that they take out the most imminent and immediate uh, uh, threat first. Then they deal with the other circumstances, you know. And that would be the guy standing there with a gun or a weapon in his hand. He's going to be the first one eliminated, and then the police deal with everything by priority. And that's pretty much what he's saying here. And, you know, it's better and smarter at times to avoid a conflict if you can. I mean, don't get in a fight that you don't have to fight. 
pick and choose your fights. Amen. If you can walk away, walk away. Uh, no matter what they're saying, sticks and stones, you know, will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. They might be wolfing at you, talking at you. Walk away if you can. Avoid a fight. But the devil doesn't always go about like a roaring lion either. Sometimes he masquerades, according to Hebrews, as an angel of light. That means, I mean, it's easy to tell there's a threat when the lion is roaring. But if he's hiding in the bushes or he appears as something else to you, then that's not easily detectable. And so you have to deal with that in a different way. And so, you know, uh, if he's roaring, great. I know what's happening. I know where my attack is coming from. But if he's uh, deceiving me and coming as something that looks good, that looks harmless or seems harmless, and it's, uh, it's a temptation, then we may not realize that we're being deceived until it's too late. So we have to stay alert at all times. We have to test things by the Spirit. And, and you know, there's no doubt about it. God wants us to be safe, but he also wants us to use wisdom first. Wisdom is the first of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Faith is the third gift of the Spirit. So he wants us to use wisdom before we have to use our faith. And I'm not belittling faith. Use your faith every day. Walk in faith. Live the life of faith. But use wisdom. And that comes from God. If any man lacks wisdom, God giveth to him liberally and upbraids and withholds it not. Amen. All the wisdom you want is available to you. Just ask God for it. But uh, God has built into us, in our DNA, uh, when he created us, he built into us a mechanism for safety, a safety mechanism. We just naturally want to be safe. We don't naturally want to do things that are crazy and are going to get us hurt. Amen? Naturally. And think about it a minute. Would you walk across a busy street without looking both ways? I know people do nowadays. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Morris, Joe Morris, was uh, telling a story. He was in California. He sees this guy walking across a busy street with two selfie sticks, video taping where he's been and where he's going, and almost got run over by a car. So I'm just saying normal, natural people don't do things like that. You step off a curb, you look first, amen? Same thing, you're driving, you come up on the intersection. You don't pull out from a stop sign or a red light without looking left or right and left again. It's just not safe to do that because, you know, somebody might run a red light or something. And so uh, we always do things safely, uh, if we can, and, and it comes naturally. God built that into us. But uh, even if you're changing lanes on a highway, Ethan, would you change a lane without looking into your mirrors? Of course not. You want to know what's going on around you before you make a move. And, and uh, at least I pray you would. I said that to Ethan because I gave him a driving test yesterday. He's been driving on by himself now for, what, a month? And so I... Did a little safety check on him yesterday. He drove me everywhere we went, or day before. Yeah, we ran some errands. I, I, I got him some drive time behind the wheel of my car to see that he's doing all right. And he is. He's a good driver. But before my wife and I went to Bible college, I was a safety manager for United Parcel Service for a number of years. Actually, the safety manager uh, for the district of Metro Chicago 
and I had 5,000 employees under me that I was directly responsible for their safety and their safety training. So I, I know a little bit about safety. I learned a few things. And uh, one thing I learned is that 90% of safety is nothing but awareness. I mean, we trained them to do the job right. We trained them how to drive. We did everything that we were supposed to do. But the main ingredient to safety is awareness. You have to be aware of what's going, around, uh, going on around your vehicle if you're a driver or your workplace if you're working, moving belts and moving yeah. things and stuff. You have to be aware of those things. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the main advantages to being successful in safety is, and the thing you have working for you is the fact that people want to be safe as a general rule. Nobody wants to get in an accident. Nobody wants to get hurt. Amen? And so that's working on your part. If you tell them, I got something to tell you that's going to keep you safe and get you home tonight and keep you from being injured, they want to hear it. They're interested in that because they, they have a disposition to be safe and they want to be safe. So uh, they're willing to learn how to do their job safely. And, and like I said, a big part of that training was awareness. Uh, we were always telling them, you know, how to make a left turn, how to look both ways, how to do this and that. But we always kept hammering home, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what's in front of you, behind you, and on both sides at all times, and always leave yourself an out, and different things like that. And uh, we had learned over the years that, and this is through accident reconstruction and uh, employee injury reconstruction, where I would actually go out on the highway where a driver had a serious accident, and I would reconstruct it, and I would work with the state police, and we would try to figure out what caused that accident. I know we can't do nothing about the past, but we can prevent another driver from having an accident like that in the future. And so we'd analyze every accident. And uh, out of all the accidents I did, and I don't have an exact number, but I can honestly say that close to 99% of those accidents were caused by distractions. They were caused by the driver losing sight of what was, on, what was going on around him in, in his area. And they were just caught unaware, and that's when the accident happened. And another thing UPS would do is they would hold these short, what they called pre-work communication meetings. They still do that, Ms. Shannon? And right before uh, the, the employees start their job, the supervisor would get them all together, and he'd have a two, three-minute pre-work communication meeting, and he would update them on what's going on, what they need to be aware of, and things like that. And then the last thing that they would do or should do is give that driver or that employee a safety tip. And they would say, you know, uh, watch your intersections. Make sure you're clear on the left and the right and the left again before you proceed. And have a safe day. Stay alert. And something like that. But that's the last thing that driver heard or that employee heard before they left is something about safety and something about staying alert, being alert. Because we knew that was going to keep them safe more than anything else. And so to this day, my wife ain't going to like this, but whenever my wife goes somewhere, I kiss her goodbye and I tell her, be careful, watch your six. She don't like that. And, and, and watch your six just simply means, you know, don't let nobody sneak up behind you. And nowadays, you got to watch your clock. Not just six. You got to watch the whole clock all the way around. 
because they come from any direction, you know. And so uh, she gets upset when I tell her that, but it means something to me. And, and one thing I've learned is that those drivers could, could have the training, the experience, and all the tools they needed to be safe. But if they got distracted or they lost their awareness around them, that's when they had their accident. And, and you know, the biggest distraction today, if I asked you to, re, to tell me, we'd all say in unison, cell phones. And I want to add ear puffs or ear Earplugs, you know, because you can be distracted by listening to something. How many people we've seen walking down the street and they got their bop with them, you know, they got their music with them. And, and I don't know, I guess people think they're safe if they got their music with them because they sure ain't alert to anything that's going on around them. And if they're not listening to their music, their eyes are fixed on their cell phone and all things, all kinds of things are happening around them. They don't even realize it. They're not alert. They're not aware of their area or their, their, wherever they're at. But anyway, for the most part, people are careful when they drive, more careful than when they walk. Not 100 percent. They still look at their phones and stuff. It's, it's better now than it ever been. Uh, people are buckling their seatbelts more now than ever. I remember coming up, they didn't even have seatbelts in cars. We drive down the street, my little brother standing up on the front seat in the middle between my dad and I. <laughs> Just crazy stuff. We wouldn't even think about that nowadays. But, uh, so we're getting better, but we're not there yet. Amen? But, you know, people will uh, drive a lot more safer than they will when they're not driving. And, and, and let me ask you a question. Why are we not as careful walking as we are when we're driving? I mean, let's face it. We're more careful driving. We're more alert driving. We know most of the dangers uh, when we're driving and we watch for them. Unless we get on our cell phone or something, we're pretty alert. But why aren't we the same way when we leave the car and we're walking into the grocery store or walking into our workplace or walking anywhere uh, why aren't we just as aware of our surroundings as when we're driving? Why aren't we just as careful when we're walking as we are when we're driving? Uh, I mean, sometimes we just think it's okay to drop our guard, and it's really not. And, and this is what I want to talk to you about for the time that we have left. I want to talk to you about what they call situational awareness, and it's just... Uh, simply, I looked up the definition of it. I wouldn't tell anybody that definition. For it. it was so technical and big words and stuff. I'm going to tell you what it means. It means simply being aware of your surroundings at all times. That's situational awareness. You're just aware of your surroundings and every situation that you can come, come up against. And, and it's been around for a long time. I can remember this type of training in the military. They didn't call it situational uh, awareness back then, but they taught us when we're on maneuvers or we're uh, on patrol that we have to be keenly aware of everything around us. Watch the bushes, watch the housetops, watch everything because you don't know what's going on. You have to be alert and careful and ready to take action if you have to. And like I said, they didn't call it situational awareness, but it's the same thing. And, and uh, you know, they, they concentrated most of their uh, training on physical skills like the development of motor skills like uh, shooting a gun or a rifle 
or uh, uh, wielding a bayonet or hand-to-hand combat. combat. And, and they taught mostly about that, but the situational awareness was built in whenever you left that atmosphere and you're walking towards or from a, 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 an assignment. And so uh, we all want to be safe, like I said, and we all have different ways of protecting ourselves. But keeping ourselves safe is something that happens in our minds more than it does by something you draw from a holster or pull out of your back pocket or pick up on the ground. That's what we want to avoid if we can. And we can avoid that by being alert. And, uh, you know, being mentally aware of the dangers of our surroundings and avoiding them when we can, that really makes up 90% of self-defense. The other 10% is really motor skills and how to handle a weapon or how to handle yourself. Uh, Jackie Chan, everybody knows him. Uh, You understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? But everybody uh, knows Jackie Chan. He said the best fights are the ones that you avoid. That's the best fights. And then Bruce Lee, he was asked what his style of fighting was, and he said, my style? You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. And so uh, that's the first thing in self-defense is avoid the fight if you can. Avoid the confrontation or the conflict if you can. Walk away. But anyway, there's a retired colonel by the name of Jeff Cooper, and he comes up with what's known as Cooper's Color Code of awareness and he put color codes on each level of awareness and there's four levels and he has a a white a yellow a orange and a red and each one of them intensifies and uh, we'll talk about them here for a few minutes uh, not in real great detail but enough to give you an idea but uh, it's the mindset that you have as you approach your daily activities whether it's uh, going to work, whether it's going to the store or shopping, running errands, or just taking a job. Uh, and code white, for example, means that you're aware but unprepared. Uh, you're totally distracted and out of touch with your surroundings. And, and I see this a lot with people. Most people live in a white color code. Yes. And, and, you know, they get out of their car totally unaware of their surroundings and start walking while they're looking at their phones or they're totally engrossed in what's coming through their ear pods. And, and you see that a lot. I, I can remember one time my wife and I, was, we went to Walmart. And as I'm pulling up, I'm already scanning and, and observing the area and everything, looking for a parking place, looking for what's around that parking place and everything. And I see a little bright light in, out of the corner of my eye. And it was a guy standing in the shadows in the corner of, a, of the, where the two buildings come together like that, standing in the corner there smoking a cigarette. Now, he might have been an employee that was just sneaking a cigarette break or something, or he could have been a, a thug looking to mug somebody, you know. But I, I just pick up on these things. I notice these things. And, uh, but that's the type of mindset that you have to have nowadays if you're going to survive out there and uh, you see this cold white at gas stations all the time. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, somebody's pumping their gas, usually a lady. Uh, they're the, the biggest target because a criminal thinks there'll be less conflict with a lady. Sometimes they're wrong, though, but most of the times it's less conflict with a lady, and they won't pull that stuff with a man. But uh, she's pumping her gas, looking at her cell phone. 
He's crouched down the other side of her car, opens the door, helps himself to her purse or a briefcase, a child, or, or anything he can get his hands on, quietly closes the door. He's gone. She finishes pumping her gas, gets in her car, and whatever she had is gone. It's missing, you know. And, and look it up on YouTube. You can see it on the videos, the gas station videos and stuff. That's somebody in cold white and not paying attention to their surroundings. And uh, I was pumping gas one time. Matter of fact, we had left here. For some reason, we had both cars here. And uh, Pastor Ed was behind me, and I needed gas. So I pulled in the gas station down the street here off of, uh, I don't remember if it was New Cut or whatever. But anyway, I'm pumping gas on the other side of the car. And this guy gets in the other side. He was high on something, and he jumps in the other side. And uh, Pastor Ed and, and I think the kids were right behind her, uh, the grandkids, was right behind me. No, you were in front of me. Yeah, because I was concerned with him running into your car when he took off. Anyway, he was fumbling with the key or the gear shift or something, and it gave me enough time to, to run around the side and try to snatch him out of the car. Well, I'm trying to snatch him. Then I tried to snatch the key, and I'm trying to get the key out of his hand, and he's fumbling with it or the gear shift. He's trying to get in the gear, and I was trying to get his hand off the gear shift so I could drag him out. So anyway, he manages to get it in the gear. I'm trying to drag him out, and he just speeds off, just misses her. He just went around her, missed her, and uh, left me standing there without a car. But anyway, as a result of that, that was 15 years ago. That was a brand-new Mustang uh, GT. So uh, as a result, I did get it back eventually. You guys know that. But as a result of that, uh, Whenever I go in the gas station nowadays, if I'm by myself, I take my key out, I lock the car, put my key in my pocket, and I pump my gas. And I'm watching the clock all the way around me. Amen? And I've done that every, day, every time I go for the last 15 years. So you learn as you go along. Amen? But if you're, if you're attacked in condition white, at the very least, you're going to lose your purse, you're going to lose something, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get knocked to the ground or something, and your reaction is going to be, my God, what just happened? Why? Because you didn't know what was happening. You weren't alert. So we don't want to stay in condition white. Uh, the next one is color code yellow. It means you're in a state of relaxed alert. You're on alert, but you're relaxed. There's no specific threats. And, and you're simply aware that the world is uh, a pretty bad place, and you're in it, and so you're going to keep your eyes open, and you're prepared to defend yourself if you have to. But uh, I think you should always be in condition yellow. Whenever you go somewhere and, and it's unfamiliar to you or people are unfamiliar to you, uh, you should stay in yellow and be alert and observe your surroundings in a relaxed but alert manner. I mean, we don't want to get stressed out over the color code we're in. And, and the next code is orange. We're going to go into orange. And the, in orange, there's a specific alert. Something has got your attention. Something is not quite right. And you know it. Your radar has picked up on something specific. And you shift your primary focus to determine if there's a threat. And in condition orange, you set a mental trigger. In other words, if that person does X, then I will do Y. 
And so you're planning out your strategy. We do this in defensive driving all the time. We used to teach the drivers, you know, you're going down the road, you got parked cars on the right, you see a blast from his tailpipe, you know, puff of smoke from a tailpipe, you see a turn signal, you look in the mirror of the car and see somebody behind the wheel. These are all indicators that that car could pull out on you. What are you planning to do if it does? And so we want them to check their left mirror to make sure they have an escape route or at the very least be ready to put their brakes on. You're coming to an intersection, you got a green light and you see a car approaching, you don't know if he sees his red light or not, but that's an alert. And so you start planning. If he comes through, I'm going to do whatever. And you plan in advance uh, your strategies. And this is what you have to do here. If that person or that condition does X, then I'm going to do Y. And so you're ready to go when it happens. And, and, you know, like I said, staying in condition orange can be a little bit stressful and be a, a little strain. But you stay in orange as long as you need to. And if the threat proves to be nothing, then you simply shift back to your previous color of yellow. Finally, there's the color red. That means it's time to take whatever action you had pre predetermined in condition orange. In other words, uh, if he does X, I'm going to do Y. Well, he's doing X, so now you're ready to do Y. And so your mental trigger that you established back then, if he does X, I'll do Y, that's been tripped now. That's, that's been triggered, and now it's time to take action and do whatever it is you decided you were going to do in condition Y or, or in Y. And so the more aware we are of our environment, the early we can spot potential problems, the earlier that we can deal with them. When we're driving, you know, if you're on the highway, uh, we want UPS drivers to have, I say like I'm still working for them, I'm not. But <laughs> uh, We wanted the drivers to have an 8 to 12 second eye lead time. In other words, we want your eyes trained 8 to 12 seconds down the road so you can see these things as they're transpiring and deal with them before you get there. And we want you to have following distance, you know, uh, it depends on the speed, you know, four to six seconds under 30, six to eight seconds over 30 miles an hour. We want you to have a following distance that gives you time to react if something happens in front of you. So we're always planning ahead and we're always trying to see every situation. And, and uh, you know, we have a big picture, uh, if you will, and we want to see everything that's going on in that picture. And if there's something that's unusual, we want to be alerted to it. You know, there's a, a woman with a baby carriage on the corner at the curb. What is she going to do? What if she does do what I think she's going to do? What am I going to do? And so we're always planning ahead. And that's the way it is with situa situational awareness. You always want to plan ahead. You want to spot things in advance and then plan ahead. Have your strategy worked out. It's too late to come up with a strategy when somebody jumped on your back. Amen? Now it's just a fight for the life. But anyway, we have to be aware of that. And here's the most outstanding example of that I could find. You remember the, the Jason Bourne movie? Uh, the first one, The Bourne Identity. I know there was a trilogy or three of them. But anyway, Jason Bourne and his new friend that agreed to give him a ride for a certain amount of money as he eludes the authorities they stop at this restaurant, and as they're sitting there, he's trying to figure out who he is because he's got amnesia, and she's trying to tell him everything's all right, that it's perfectly normal and that, and he says, uh, then tell me why, if it's normal, 
Tell me why the first thing I did when we came in here is locate all the exits. He says, uh, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed. The guy sitting at the bar weighs 215 pounds, and he can handle himself. I can tell you that the best place to look for a weapon would be in the cab of that gray truck out there. And I can also run 30 minutes flat out at this altitude before I get the shakes. Tell me why I know that. Well, she couldn't tell him why. And, and, uh, but I can. He could do that because he was trained to do that. Because the line of work that he was in, uh, if he didn't do that, he'd wind up dead. And so he not only was trained, but he practiced that everywhere he went. And it was by instinct. He may not have remembered who he was. He had amnesia. But he remembered that. Why? Because it was built into him. It was training. It comes second nature. And that's, a, that's the way it is with all types of training. Training is what helps you to overcome what we call natural reactions. Uh, you know, like, again, when I was working at UPS, when I was training driver trainers, we didn't have anti-lock braking systems back then. That was a few years ago. And so we taught this technique called stab braking. And we tell that driver, you need to apply the brake to the point of wheel lockup and then take your foot off of it, get the wheels rolling again, reapply and keep doing that until you stop. Stab braking. I bet Stan and some of the older guys here remember that. But then uh, uh, why did we train like that? Because your natural reaction is to slam the brakes on. That's the worst thing you can do in slippery pavement. And so uh, we would train them and train them and train them so that when they come up on a situation where they had to stop quickly, their training would override their natural instinct and they would automatically go into stab breaking. And so this is what we have to do is we train and we keep doing that and practicing it until we get it in our, our hearts and minds to where it becomes second nature. I don't have to think about it. Whenever I'm looking for a parking place, I'm looking all around the place, seeing who I'm parking next to, who's in the car, who ain't in the car, who's walking here and walking there. I want to know everything about it. And it's no stress for me because I do it automatically. I, I just got in the habit of doing it. And that's the way we have to be with this type of uh, situ situational awareness. And, uh, you know, the first thing you need to establish is what's called a baseline. In other words, what's normal for my neighborhood? What's normal for the parking lot where I work? What's normal for the Walmart grocery store when I go shopping? And, and once you get that development in your mind of what's normal, then as soon as something isn't normal, it will pop out and stand out to you. So you have a baseline so that you can tell when something is going awry. And, and you know, every place has a different normal. And not paying attention to these differences causes a lot of people to make mistakes. And there are certain things that would be considered normal, like certain sounds, sights, smells, and, and just the overall vibe of the place. You all know what I mean when I say vibe, you know. It just don't feel right. <laughs> but uh, anything outside of that, anything outside of what's normal for that particular place, triggers a mechanism inside of you to be alert that there's something you need to pay more attention to. But here's the most important trigger that can't be ignored. I'm going to get spiritual again. John 16, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. 
He'll tell you what's in your future. And so as we're going along, there's a little voice on the inside of you that is also a trigger. There's times when I didn't observe or see anything out of the normal or uh, unusual, and yet I would get this uh, nudge inside. I'd get this still small voice on the inside of me, don't go that way. And if, I used to question that, but I don't question it anymore. If I'm headed out to the car, getting ready to go somewhere, and I always take the same route all the time, there's been times, mostly for my wife, she'd tell me, let's go a different way. Why? What, uh, that takes longer. She said, let's just do it. So I didn't question. After that, I just did it. We just went a different way. Who knows what would have been waiting there if we didn't pay attention to that still small voice on the inside of us, you know? Always listen to that. Don't override that voice because the more you override it, the less you'll hear it. And it'll get to the place where you don't hear it at all anymore. And people's, people's first thing, they say, why did this happen to me? Because you've been ignoring that little inner voice. Uh, most people call it a conscience. But it uses your conscience. But that's not your conscience speaking to you. It's your spirit speaking to you. And, and if you're a Christian, it's the Holy Ghost speaking yeah. to you, telling you, go another way. Yeah. Telling you, look over here to the right. Yeah. Telling you, uh, go back to the car. All kinds of things. You've got to be alert to that voice. Listen to that voice and obey it. Because if you don't, you're going to wind up getting yourself in trouble. Amen. But anyway, uh, you feel inside... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't hear audible voices. Don't, you know, you know that. But not that I can't. And, I, and there are people that have heard the voice of God. They've heard audible voices telling them things. I'm not one of them. But I don't deny that it happens. Amen? But, you know, it's like something doesn't look right. Something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't sound right. And you hear in here, don't do it. Don't go that way. Uh, he alerts you ahead of time. Because he tells you what's in your future. He tells you things that haven't happened yet. But anyway, back to awareness. This is more spiritual than I thought it was going to be. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but getting back to awareness, we need to understand that awareness is a key factor in identifying a potential threat early enough to do something about it. But if you're not alert to it, you're going to walk right up on it. It's going to be too late to do anything. It's about being prepared to do something if you identify a, a potential threat. Uh, you know, if the mom in our opening story this morning didn't catch that situation when she did, it could have turned out bad for her. I mean, where would she be right now? She could have got kidnapped, the kids kidnapped, maybe sex trafficked or, or whatever. But let me give you a scenario of a woman... I'm not picking on the women. Uh, this woman was pretty sharp. But it's a woman who's keenly aware and alert of her surroundings. She's all involved in situational awareness. And, and let's watch her as she pulls into the parking lot of her favorite grocery store. As she's pulling in, she's scanning for a possible parking place. And if it's nighttime, she's looking for a parking place close to the entrance and near or under a light. Amen? Amen. And uh, as she's parking, she finds that ideal parking place. As she's parking, she's scanning the area for people walking, standing, or sitting in their car. And she knows that people should be arriving or leaving, walking in 
or walking out. Uh, you know, somebody sitting in their car could be legitimate. They're waiting on their wife or something like that. But people standing around or sitting in their car for no apparent reason, they're not walking in. They're not walking out. Uh, they don't have their keys in their hand, and they're not putting them away or getting them out. If they're walking out, they're, they're usually carrying groceries or, or at least a bag or pushing a grocery cart. That's normal. You expect that. And, and when none of that is going on and someone is just loafing around, ask yourself, what are they up to? That's an alert. You was in condition, condition uh, yellow. Now you go to orange. And uh, so she's watchful for people who look at her, but they're trying not to look like they're looking at her. You know what I'm saying? They're like... And she knows they're, they're trying to look like they're not looking at her, but yet they're watching her. And so that would be an alert. Uh, she knows that they could be determining what type of target she would be, what would be the value of her target, her purse, her jewelry, whatever. Uh, they're looking around for police or anyone that uh, might intervene if they attack her. And, and, you know, they just look nervous overall. Now she's parked, and while the car is still locked, she's, she didn't see anybody like that, so she's parked, the car is still locked. She scans all around her vehicle before she unlocks it or opens the door. If something doesn't look right, Pastorette, what do they do? They stay in the car or they find another parking place or they leave. They don't get out of the car. They don't offer the opportunity for somebody to do something. My wife does that all the time. She'll park, she'll look around, see something suspicious, she'll back out, go to the other side of the parking lot. If they follow her, she leaves. If they don't follow her, she'll go in the other entrance or something. But she's alert. Uh, but before, or anyways, uh, then before she exits the car, she gets her pepper spray out of her purse and has it in her hand with the cap off and her finger on the trigger. I mean, that's the only way you can be ready for, with pepper spray. Uh, I mean, if you get jumped, it's too late to get it out of your purse. It's too late to open the cap and get it off your keychain and spray somebody in the face with it. You're on the ground, and that's how they find most people with their pepper spray still in their purse or dangling from their keychain. Uh, so you're not ready. You were alert, but when you seen something, when you seen a potential problem, you didn't prepare for it. If, if that guy does X, I'm going to do Y. And Y is have your pepper spray ready. Uh, I believe in pepper spray. Uh, I think it's a great deterrent. Unless you got sprayed in the face with it before, you can't appreciate it. But that stuff is bad. I'm going to tell you. And they don't even have to spray you in the face with it to, for it to be bad. All they got to do is get it in the air and it's bad. <laughs> I mean, it would choke you to death. I've had it sprayed on me. Uh, tear gas is the same way. That's why people scatter when you see the tear gas come out. But anyway, she, when she exits her car, if she has her children with her and they're in the back seat, she has them exit on the same side that she's exiting from. If there's one in the passenger seat, she physically walks around to them and as they get out and they all stay together. She locks her car and she walks briskly and purposely to the entrance while she's watching her clock, her surroundings, and keeping her children close. She keeps her purse close to her body, uh, and she doesn't let it dangle like bait. 
I've learned from my wife, she has two purses. She has one that she carries uh, a normal purse, and then she has one when she's on the move. A little small one just has the basic necessities in there, and it's got a strap, and it hangs on her shoulder, and it's right along her side. Uh, But keep your purse close to you. Don't let it dangle like bait. She also knows not to wear flashy jewelry to the grocery store to save that flashy jewelry when she takes when she goes out with her significant other and he's there to protect her or watch her back. Amen. I mean, she doesn't want to look like prey. Because if you look like food, you're going to be eaten. I remember I used to take my kids. We lived in a, a nice suburb, you know, and uh, my wife and I was raised in the ghetto. We was in some pretty tough neighborhoods, went to some tough schools and stuff. My kids didn't have that luxury. We had them out in the burbs. But I would take them into the city. I'd take them in the heart of Chicago, take them down Skid Row, go down Maxwell Street, get a Maxwell Street Polish sausage, and walk around Maxwell Street with all kinds of thugs and criminals around. And the first thing I told them, I says, look and act like you belong here. Because if you don't, they're going to spot you. They're going to pick you out. In other words, if you look like prey, if you look like food, you're going to get eaten. And so uh, I physically got them out of the car. We actually did that stuff because I want them to see both sides of the world, not just see one side of the world, but I want them to see and experience what we grew up with. And so you don't want to look like prey and you don't want to look like something good to eat. But then she gets in the store and she doesn't leave her purse in her cart while her back is turned checking labels on products. She keeps the children close to her. She knows to be alert when someone keeps showing up in the same aisle that you're shopping in and doesn't seem to ever put anything in the cart. Amen. That's something to be alert about. And and I know uh, you might think I'm paranoid, but I'll tell you this. Google sex trafficking. Google kidnapping, Google gas station crimes or gas station robberies, and see what I'm talking about. Google the statistics on kidnapping young children, even tender age children, in baby carriages and stuff like that. They're all open game and very valuable to sex traffickers. And we're starting to see a lot of local stories now. How many times you go on Facebook and say, please share this. She's been, this teenager been missing for X amount of days and uh, little kids and stuff. Uh, that's another thing that when you uh, Google sex trafficking on YouTube or something, you're going to see little kids playing in their front yard. A van pull up, the door slide open, uh, uh, two thugs get out, grab them kids, throw them in the van. They're gone in less than 30 seconds. Less than 30 seconds. It's a shame But that's the way this world is right now. There's a a lot of evil out there, and we have to be able to protect ourselves, discern that evil, trust God, rely on God, say your prayers, quote your scriptures, but stay alert. Amen? Remember, Jesus is the one that said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Yes, he wants you saved. He wants you protected. But don't tempt him by being stupid. Amen? Amen? Be fully alert, fully aware, have a plan, especially the women. Uh, men are, men are, can be just as stupid. I'm not saying that uh, there's a big difference between men and women, but 
more women are going to the grocery stores and running errands and shopping than men are. They are way more exposed than the men are. Besides that, who wants to grab me? You know, who wants to grab Hollis? They'd probably be scared to grab Hollis. He just looks bad. But I won't tell nobody you have teddy bear, Hollis. <laughs> I mean, there are certain targets you're looking for. And the most, most of the targets are the ones that look like prey, that look easy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I seen a video of a lion attacked an alligator. I'm going to tell you what, that alligator licked that lion good. That lion made a mistake picking that one. It might have looked like prey to him at the time, but I bet he never picks another one. <laughs> and that's the way it's got to be, you know. But uh, like I said... If you think I'm paranoid, look up them statistics and then tell me what you think. And, and you know, I shared this on a Sunday morning. I know this is valuable time because I only get you uh, people for one, uh, one hour a week. And so I want to make sure I put the best into you that I possibly can. And at this time and in this, what's going on in the world right now, this is the best I got for you today. Uh, you know, God is in the saving business. And God wants everybody saved. I want everybody safe. And I know God wants everybody safe. And if this will bring any, any degree of safety to your life, it's worth every minute. Amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.